you know, I had an extensive criminal record, um, no work history, and um, my tattoos on my face were real dark at the time, and I couldn't find a job. So I came to Homeboys to break the cycle, to do something different. I didn't think places like this existed, where, you know, if you really want help, they're gonna help you and willing to do the extra for you. I never had that. So the way I see it, there's good in every single human life. There's good in everybody. And that day I walked in here, Father G did see that. He like, look, son, he like, I see a lot of good stuff in you. And like, you're gonna be somebody. And so if love is the answer, community is the context, but tenderness is the methodology. And that's the whole point of this place. It's really about the power of tenderness to keep people anchored in the present moment and feeling cherished at all times, you know, which is always gonna be a reflection of the God we have. But if you can stay tender with yourself and with another person, it keeps you in the present moment. And that's the only place where joy can happen. And it is the only antidote to our misery. I'm real proud of myself right now. That's something I'm real proud to say. I'm a great father, a great provider. Yeah, I changed so much. It brought me back closer to God. I'm building a better rapport with my daughter, my grandbaby, I'm spending time with them. So today I'm living a normal life. You know, I'm not accustomed to that. Can you believe this guy's back? Yeah, back in action. God is identifying these kind of subgroupings of the poor. These are the folks who know what it's like to have been cut off. And because they've suffered in this particular way, God thinks they're trustworthy guides to lead the rest of us, which is a different concept because people are always wanting to go to the margins to make a difference. Whereas I think we're being invited to go to the margins so that the folks at the margins make us different. That turns the whole thing on its head because suddenly we're not rescuing and saving them. It's quite the opposite. If you open me up, what do you think that you'd find? Am I someone you trust? Can we be intertwined? I could bring you out of the dark. I could bring you out of the dark. I could bring you out of the dark with me. Oh, man, it's been a good day here this morning. Uh, we started the day off bright and early um, with a breakfast for all the guys and uh, just enjoyed each other's time there. I, uh, I have discovered something about breakfast, and uh, I want to share that discovery with you tonight. I have discovered that breakfast is a full-contact sport. I just want to let you know that. It has nothing to do with Shane and I, Shane Hoyt, being in the kitchen together and running up against each other. That didn't happen. But uh, I just want to let you know that when a certain part of your bicep 
comes into contact with a pan that is the temperature of the center of the sun, it leaves a mark. Not just a mark, like I have a gouge in my bicep. <laughs> and I know some of you are out there are like, well, did you wash it out? No, I didn't wash it out. Of course I did. My wife's here. I washed it out, honey. It's okay. But every time I go like this, I can feel it. So it's not because I'm flexing my muscles and wanting you to look at that. It hurts. I'm just letting you know. It really does. But anyway, we had a great time with the fellows this morning and really enjoyed uh, just spending some time with them, eating some food and listening to conversations, uh, and then just sharing a little bit about some of the things that we're actually going to be talking about this evening. Uh, I'm really excited about this particular uh, week that we just went through and this particular weekend to share with you uh, from our 12 Neighbors series that we're in. I'm, I really am. This probably, I've got to say, is my most favorite one uh, in this whole series. Uh, and the two uh, episodes that were a part of it are spot on with where I believe God is um, actually taking the, our church and this church as well. So I'm, I'm really pumped to uh, share with you this evening. Um, I like big things. I really do. Um, and uh, just trying to figure out some of the ways that I could give examples to you tonight that describe big things. Um, I went to uh, everybody's favorite search, Google. I Googled it. And uh, I said, what are the big things in this, on this planet? Like, you know, things. And one of the first things that came up are, what is one of the largest living things, height-wise, on the planet? And uh, anyway, one of the largest things. I didn't say the only thing, but one of the largest things uh, captured my attention because I'm a guy that likes to travel. I've never seen these, but I would love to go out west. How many of you have ever been out west and actually physically seen the giant redwoods and giant sequoia trees? Some of you have, okay. Lucky. I have not been there yet. I wanna go see them. These things are enormous. And for those of you that have seen them up close and personal, uh, you can attest to that. I've seen them in pictures and videos, and it's incredible what I've seen. I, I just can't imagine that the very God of this universe created something that huge, well, he's a big God. No wonder I like big things, right? I mean, I serve a big God, and he is amazing in his creation. Anyway, let me just give you some facts about these things. The giant redwood and giant sequoia trees, they're out in California. I'm not sure. Does Western Canada have them as well? Okay, see, I'm learning things even tonight. This is good. It's always good when Dave learns something. They are among the largest living things on the face of the planet and the tallest trees in the world, right? Some of them are, now I don't do metric, so convert with me, okay? Uh, some of them are close to 300 feet tall. It's a little bit bigger than I am, height-wise. Just to let you know if you're wondering, converting-wise. And some of them are more than 2,500 years old. I thought I was old. That's really old. 2,500 years old. The people that do this research on this are amazing. But one of the really cool facts about this happens to be done by those that study these things. You would think that these trees would have a tremendous root system, right, that reaches down hundreds of feet into the planet to anchor them. But really, when you think about it, that's not the case with these trees, okay? Um, 
they, the, the redwood trees and the giant sequoia trees actually have shallow root systems. So I've been told, I've never dug down to find out, but according to, you know, I'm, I'm reading these things and based on their height, you know, you would think they would have this deep root system, but they don't. And the roots of these trees, though, one thing that I thought was really significant and really cool and really fits into what we're talking about is despite the fact that they don't have a deep root system, their roots are intertwined with each other, okay? They are tied in with each other and interlocked. So when the big storms come and the big winds come, they're still standing. And uh, it's amazing to think that something that large can take on some of this uh, amazing weather that happens in, on our planet. But because of them being so intertwined and interconnected, they are able to withstand that because they're holding each other up. And they're working off of uh, the strengths that they have and they share together with. And so just be thinking about that as we dive into what we're looking at here this week. Uh, when you think about the interlocking root system, they support each other and they sustain each other. And they need one another basically to survive and to remain standing tall. And so do we. As individuals, as human beings, as communities, as churches, we need that from each other. And so we've got to be deeply interconnected and rooted in sustaining each other with the strengths that we have. And so this past week, um, this particular segment, how many of you guys are involved in a 12 group, a 12 neighbors group? Okay, good, excellent. How are you doing with them? Are you liking them? Okay, that's good to hear because I'm loving mine. I really am. It's not because I lead it <laughs> or anything. It's because my wife's in it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I'm loving it. I love the group that I'm with, the people that are in, in it with me, um, and just how we're, we're gleaning things off of each other and sharing off of each other. But we're doing this journey together, and we're recognizing things together, and we're learning things together, and I'm loving it. I really am. I have one mic in my hand. I should have two because I've been told my hands go in my pocket too much. So, sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, but really, tonight, as we talk through week four of uh, the 12 neighbors, uh, one of the things that they want us to do is to help familiarize you folks and all of us as a community of believers uh, with some things that are vital to sustaining each other and to supporting each other and to working off of each other's strengths. And so they want us to start with strengths. And I think that's a really good place to start on anything rather than focusing in on negative things and, and things that are bad and problems. Why do we always go there first to see if we can come up with a solution? Why not start with the good things and start with the strengths first? And if we do that, then probably the, the difficulties will take care of themselves because that's what we're focusing in on is the strengths of it. And so I just gave away the punchline of what we're looking at. So let me familiarize yourself, you guys, with a concept that this whole uh, particular episode, this whole particular week was centered around. Any of you familiar with asset-based community development? Other than those of you that have already watched the video, you don't count. 
Anybody that has not seen the videos yet, are you familiar with asset-based community development? Anybody? Good. We got one back there. Did a little research on it. Okay? It was started by an individual um, in Australia. An amazing story to read his blog about uh, this whole idea. And it makes a ton of sense. It's easy to understand, and I see why it's vital especially why it was placed in the middle of our 12 Neighbors series. Uh, it's a great place to have an anchor in there, and, and I like easy things. When it's easy for me to understand, it's a good day, okay? And I really want to uh, just kind of help familiarize you folks with this as well. Um, and for those of you that have already watched the episode, good refresher on it. Here we go. Asset-based community development um, or sometimes referred to as asset-based community-driven development, uh, is grounded on three principles. And so if you're taking notes through this series, here's a good place to take notes. Okay, as a good teacher that I was in the past, I was really good. Just kidding. But as a good teacher, I would say it's a good place to take notes. You may want to take this down. You may want to take this down. There are three things that can help ground you in understanding and familiarize yourself with asset-based community development. Number one, everyone has gifts. Okay? So think that phrase through with me in your mind as I say it again. Everyone has gifts. Everybody. So everyone means who? Good. You're listening. You're paying it. It's everybody on the face of the planet. Everyone has gifts. Number two, everyone, and by the way, to make this easy for you, there are three things that this is grounded in, and the first word of number one, two, and three is everyone. Just letting you know, making it easy on you. Again, something for me to understand. Number one is what? Good, you're listening, excellent. Number two, everyone has something to contribute. Everybody. Everyone has something to contribute. And number three, what's the first word? Yes, you guys are getting it. Everyone cares about something, and that passion is their motivation to act. Okay? So quick review. Number one, everyone has gifts. Number two, everyone has something to contribute. Number three, everyone cares about something, and that passion is their motivation to act. And this is the basis that the asset-based community development is grounded in. And so we really want you to understand that ABCD, see another easy thing, asset-based community development, you get ABCD. I didn't come up with this, okay? But I like it. But ABCD would have us focus on a person or community's gifts or strengths rather than on their problem and deficits. I like that. There should be a lot of these going on out there. You should look like those old-fashioned dogs that are in the back of the windows that go like this. <laughs> Seriously, ABCD would have us focus on a person or community's gifts and strengths rather than their problems and their deficits. Focus in on that. It uses the strengths and the assets of the community as a resource for development, empowering them to use the skills that they already possess. 
And so they're beginning to work at developing their community, and so they're going to use the skills and the assets that they already have to begin to develop this. And then further on, it also involves assessing the resources and the skills and experience available in a community, organizing the community around the issues that move its members into action. I like it when I can jump into something that moves me to action. A church in a community should cause me to move into action. Amen? Okay. This one does. I like it. That's why I'm here. I love being here. And then it goes on to say, and then determining and taking the appropriate action to come alongside people to maximize the strengths to better serve meeting the needs of the community and the individual. And I can really resonate with what is being said here. I want to share some scripture verses with you. One of them is found in Matthew chapter 6. The other one is in Luke 6. And I want you to just listen to the words that Jesus is sharing out of these two verses. And then you'll begin to see, I'm sure, as we move forward into the rest of what God laid on my heart to share with you out of this, that these things line up with what we're doing in meeting the needs by maximizing the strengths of the people. Everybody brings something to the table, okay? And so listen to Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus is talking here. He's teaching. And he said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So these creatures that God created don't even necessarily worry about where their next meal is coming from because it's provided for them already. They don't store it up. They don't, you don't, I don't see any birds out in a garden planting seeds. Most of the time I see them in my garden picking out my seeds and eating them, right? But seriously, God takes care of them. Aren't we far more important than they are in God's eyes? And then Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, he says this. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. And if I was one of the disciples and he's talking to me about poor people, and then he says, but the whole kingdom of God belongs to them. Man, I'd be like, I don't understand that. You know, how can the poor own the kingdom of God and yet still be poor? Just keep those in the back of your mind for just a moment. Let me help you work around some of the concepts that are in these particular videos that we watched. And if you haven't seen them, they're online. I would encourage you to go check them out. They're amazing stories. They really are, especially from this particular week, week four that we're in. But the concepts of the two episodes that we watched out of this were, were this, out of the two videos that we watched, helping the poor and the marginalized find success which is found in community using the individual's strengths, gifts, and abilities. I'm going to say that one more time. The two videos that we watched about homeboy industries and the other one about um, Family Independence Initiative, FII, those particular uh, two episodes focused in on helping the poor and marginalized find success, which is found in community 
using the individual's strengths, gifts, and abilities. But the biblical context and concept of these two things was this, that Jesus often used the castaways of society and the marginalized people to push his message forward. Think about those that he would use, Levi or Matthew as he's known. What was his occupation? Yeah, he was a tax collector. And they were kind of considered to be despicable people. Exactly. Now, my father-in-law is not a tax collector. He's an accountant. I like him. But think about this, right? I mean, these people were considered to be, like, despicable. That's a great word. That is a 50-cent word. And Jesus used, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jesus used Matthew to push forward the whole idea of his message. And not only that, but he went with Zacchaeus too, who, by the way, happened to be of the same occupation. Okay? And if you read those stories, especially about Zacchaeus, you can find out what the religious leaders were saying about Jesus when he went to have supper in Zacchaeus' own home. And then he used the fishermen. I mean, these were part of the roughest of the rough. Right? As they're described. And yet he used them to push forward his message that he had. And that he wanted to share the world. And then there's Mary Magdalene. Let me tell you. Read the background on her. And yet Jesus used her as well to push forward his message of looking beyond the deficits that maybe these people had to utilize the strengths that they had. And I think that is a great example. And then when we jump into Luke chapter 15, which that's a clue, that's our main, top, main text tonight is Luke 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. But in Luke 15, he also utilized perfect examples of lost things and lost people to push forward his whole message about using everyone and everyone has things to bring to the table. Now I had a chance this past week to sit down with a friend of mine over lunch and to chat about these things that I was going to be sharing with you tonight. And to chat about how we need to start with strengths of people versus focusing in on the deficits that they have and the negatives. We talked about a bunch of things over supper and or lunch, excuse me, it almost went to supper, we talked that long. Uh, but seriously, we talked about a bunch of things, but it was when we began to really dig into the scripture that the truth and the wisdom of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit began to open up my eyes into catching the vision of being a better neighbor to the people that are around me and the people that walk through our doors here at church when I want to start with their strengths. And we looked into Luke chapter 15 for quite a bit of time while we were sitting there. And this is what we pulled out of it for this particular weekend. So I want you to listen to this. Luke chapter 15, are you there? Okay. We're going to start with verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to read to you I want to read to you the first six verses. 
And Jesus is teaching here. And he, the best way that he taught was through a thing called parables, right? They're great stories. And uh, they have a purpose behind them. And this particular parable that starts off this chapter is the parable of the lost sheep. Here's what he said. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that description. Notorious. Think about that. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain. Complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Oh, perish the thought. Now, I'm kind of mocking here a little bit, but think about that for just a minute. Let your mind go there. Yeah, these are pretty rough and tumble people. But the religious people were having a fit that Jesus was associating so much with them. He was associating with such sinful people. Mind you, he went to eat with them sometimes. <sighs> there should be an audible gasp in Cross Point Church tonight because of that. The savior of the world, eating with such despicable people. Think about it. Verse 3 says, so Jesus told them the story. Who, who do you think he's telling the story to? The religious leaders and the Pharisees. He wants them to listen to this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. There's so much symbolism in this portion of scripture. It's unreal. But anyway, goes on into verse 6. And when he arrives, back with the rest of the 99 and everybody else, he will call together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Now, a little later on in this chapter, there's also a couple other parables that talk about things that are lost. Verses 8 through 10 uh, speaks of the woman that had 10 coins, right? And she lost one of them. I don't know how she lost it. It's not real clear about that. It just happened. Has anybody ever just lost something? Yeah, I, I do it all often. And in all seriousness, I don't understand why that happened, but it happened. And Jesus is telling the story. And she turned her house upside down and then right side back up again, cleaning it, looking for this one coin, and she found it. She continued to find, hunt for it until she found it. And then what did she do? She called everybody together and said, rejoice with me because I, I had 10 coins, I lost one. And I found it. And so, you know, it was just circumstantial. It's something that happened, but she found what was lost. And then the last parable that's in this one talks about the lost son or the prodigal son as many of us know it. And many of you are familiar, I'm sure, if not everybody maybe, with this particular story, how the younger son goes to his father and says, I want everything that is due me as an inheritance. And so the father says, okay. And he gives both the boys, the oldest and the youngest son, their inheritance. The young one goes off, blows it all in the world, does some pretty dumb things, as far as, as, far as we know. I mean, that, we can read that into that. Not trying to take something out of context, but they, you know, he really messed up. He made some mistakes. He did some pretty bad things. And then he came to the realization, as he's standing out in the middle of a a field full of pigs. 
feeding them, so hungry that he's eating their food, and he realizes, you know what, even the people that work for my dad have a way better life than I have right now. I'm going to go home. I'm going to ask my dad to forgive me, and I'm going to ask him just to hire me on as one of his servants. And the story goes on to tell us that he did. He went home, and he said that same thing to his father, but his father did not even look at the negative bad things that he did. Didn't even consider it. I'm reading into it a little bit, but it's not told in the parable. What's it say? It says that he fought, his father embraced him and kissed him all over his face and put the very best clothing on him, gave him a ring, threw a party, and said, rejoice with me. Everybody, come rejoice with me. My son who is dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. I want you to rejoice with me. He restored him. His, his son, dad, you can't, you can't call me back in as your son. Just let me be when he works. He said, no. His father restored his identity. He was always his son. And he put that teaching back into his boy and said, you are my son. Nothing that you did will ever change that. How bad it is, that does not change the fact that I love you and you're my son. I love that story. It's amazing. It really is. And I think sometimes we look at, as individuals, we look at poverty in a certain way. For us, a lot of times we think that poverty is about financial lack of. People are poor because they don't have the finances. But I think there's also the poverty of circumstances and the poverty of identity in our world today as well. People are poor because of circumstances that are around them for whatever reason. We just don't know, kind of like the coin, right? Lost coin. Poverty of identity. People are suffering from that. They're lacking it. They're poor in their identity because of what they think or what the world has made them believe that they've done is too ugly to be forgiven. And they lose their identity on that. And so we need to be well aware that these things are there and these things are happening. We look at the, the lamb that was lost. It was just dumb. It wandered off. It knew it had safety with the flock, but it wandered off because it thought it saw something better. It's just what happens. The coin that was lost, it was no fault of the coin that it got lost, right? The circumstance just happened to be. But it got lost, but then it got found and restored back to it. Same with the son. Now this kid... He made a willful, selfish decision to blow everything that his dad had given him. But he came to a realization that, man, I, I need something better. So he went back seeking forgiveness, not wanting to be in that, but his father restored his identity. And I think we as a church, as a community, need to be about coming alongside our neighbors and restoring the needs that we see through their strengths and giving them the circumstances to to come in, recognize it, but to bring them in and to restore their identity as well. And to use their strengths versus the negative stuff. All too often I have heard many people say, do you know what they did? And you're allowing this to happen? And you're doing this, that, and the other? I think Jesus would be pretty quick to bring them in. Man, that struck home to me in a big way. It doesn't matter who or what when you measure it up against God and Jesus and as a church. And so 
In accordance with the scriptures, God affirms all people's value. He affirms all people's value. And his promise of provision, like the birds, they don't plant, they don't store up, but he provides anyway. Why might we often view the poor as having less value or less strengths or less blessings or gifts like other people? Why might the poor, in fact, have unique strengths and special blessings that they could bring in and special insights that the rest of us don't have? And what might we have to learn from them when you think about it? Everyone brings something to the table. The solution does not need to come from me or you about the problems. It doesn't need to come from the experts or the academics or the professionals about fixing problems. We've been trained to think that though, right? Got to fix this problem. We're trained that we have to come up with some sort of solution to the problem. I think that it's not about charity. People don't want charity when you really consider that. When discussing the welfare system, in one of the videos, Jorge Blondon. My Spanish is really good, okay? But that's his name, Jorge Blondon. He's the executive vice president of Family Independence Initiative. He states about the welfare system that it's a system that's really designed for poor and marginalized families to showcase their deficits. That's what the welfare system is. It's designed to showcase deficits of the poor people and the marginalized people. That's disgusting. Families have to show how poor they are, how broken they are, and only then will they get the access to the resources that they need. Only then, once you prove that you're that way. What would happen if we started looking at a person or a community's assets and strengths instead of their deficiencies or their problems? What would happen if welfare systems from Canada and the United States started doing that? Now, I'm not here bashing, I'm not. I'm just saying, people, the scripture is full of what we need to be doing, and I wanna challenge you with that. Jesus Garena, the CEO of Family Independence Initiative says, at FII, when, when we start with people's strengths and goals, you begin to see the richness and the activities of what people are doing for themselves already. It's rich when you see it. So what are the strengths that we have to do differently if we're to start with the strengths? Sorry, what are the things that we have to do differently if we're to start with the strengths? Father Gregory Boyle, also known as Father G. I love this guy. He's amazing. He's head of uh, the Homeboy Industries, which is the other video. He said this, these folks, these are the folks who know what it's like to have been cut off. And because they have suffered in this particular way, God thinks they're trustworthy guides. I love it. Trustworthy guides to lead the rest of us. People are always wanting to go to the margins, that's me, and make a difference. I'm in that category. Wanting to go to the margins and make a difference. Father Boyle goes on to say, Whereas I think we are being invited to go to the margins so that the folks at the margins make us different. That turns the whole thing on its head. Because suddenly we are not rescuing and saving them. Rather, it's quite the opposite. 
And so to wrap all this up, I, I want to say this. I feel as though this is how the church is intended to be operating. Everywhere that there are Christians, we should be caring, we should be caring for all people in our communities. All people. At the end of chapter 2 and 4 in the book of Acts, it speaks of how all the believers took care of the needs of those who were in need. The believers who were in need. It took care of all of their needs. Their neighbors. But those in our communities not following Jesus also need to see and feel the impact of this as well. when it gets all emotional. <laughs> so I'm trying to grab it back here. Every one of us who claim the name of Jesus are called to be the hands, the feet, the voice, the eyes, the ears of Jesus lived out in our lives in front of our neighbors. So let's help to meet their needs. We all have our own gifts, our own strengths, and assets. So through this, this particular episode that we watched this past week, it's called us to assess our strengths and assets as individuals. And as a church community, it's calling us to do that. In our 12 neighbors group, it's calling us to do that. And then those of the community that we live in, it's calling us to do that. Assess those needs. And then what we are called to do is intentionally engage. Intentionally. Engage with someone who is poor or marginalized, maybe in a marginalized situation, with the goal of uncovering not their weaknesses and deficits, but uncovering their assets and their strengths through listening to them. That even means when they come through the door here at our church, we should take time to listen to them. And then we, when you discover the strengths and their assets, take time to affirm them as a person. God values them, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. And not only affirm them as a person, but affirm their value and the strengths that they bring to the table, despite what they did or how they are. They still bring good stuff to the table that we can learn and that we can use. So just remember, everyone has something to bring to the table. 